You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you will stand with me, we're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. One of the themes, one of the focal points of John's gospel is this idea of being born again. I want to talk about that this morning. And I know that that sounds like, you know, basic food and fodder for the church, but I want you to realize that the message that we have for today, though it's going to use familiar language, it is asking of you for something miraculous. God wants each and every one of us to begin living, living in the power of the miracle of the gospel. Look at verse 12 with me, and notice what... John's gospel tells us, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing passage We thank you for the power of your gospel. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness. Right now, before I say another word of a sermon, we want to ask for forgiveness for the many times that we have taken for granted the radical nature of the gospel. Too often, Lord, we have have forgotten that it is more than religion and it's more than a social construct. It's more than what we do on a Sunday or a Wednesday or the good deeds we may do in between. But God, you are giving us a message of complete transformation. You want to turn our world upside down. And Lord, I pray that that will begin this morning as you turn our hearts inside out. We ask for you to fill this room with your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, I love you, and I'm so excited to share this message with you. It's simple, but it is an amazing thing. There are many things we experience in life that are quote-unquote everyday realities, but they're powerful. Every day, another family, many, many families in our world welcome a new baby into their home. And though that is an everyday occurrence, when it happens in your home, it's a pretty big deal. I'll never forget those first moments I spent with my children there in that hospital room, that very first moment when they were brought into this world. It is something I will never forget. But what I want you to realize is, is that when John begins to describe what happens to a person when they receive Jesus, the only language he can think of, the only metaphor and illustration he knows to give, he goes right to the top of the human experience, one of the most powerful things we can ever encounter in this world, and that is the beautiful, miraculous picture of birth. He goes there, and he speaks of being born of God. Later to Nicodemus, as I've already said, he would speak of being born again. But what we need to understand this morning, if you are here today and you would say that you are a Christ follower, that you have received the gospel, I want you to realize that that is a radical statement requiring a radical response. To say that you believe in Jesus and that you are born again is not the talk of milk toast religion 
all of a sudden you have embraced radicalism. Radical in the sense that we believe that God sent his only son to rescue us from our own sin and failures. That's no small thing. So quit acting like it's a small thing. And believe that the power of the gospel is yours to experience. I want you to know, and maybe this sounds over the top. I don't even care if you think it is. You are a miracle. If you are a Christ follower, you are a miracle. You have been changed by the power of God from death to life. You no longer need to be embraced by darkness, but you have been enlightened by the light of the world. Those are radical concepts. One of the biggest mistakes that we make in organized religion, anybody that would call it that hasn't been to a Baptist meeting. <laughs> but one of the biggest mistakes we make in organized religion is that we begin to forget how radical our faith is. And when we are sharing the gospel, friends, we are sharing a message of hope that is radical, a message of healing that is radical, a message of love that this world is in desperate need of hearing. Amen? To be saved is to be born of God. The secular world understands this in ways I think the church sometimes misses. Listen, especially around an election time. You will notice that the secular press makes a distinction between Christians and born-again Christians. Notice this year. Notice and see if you'll hear it, especially when we get to a presidential election. You'll see that the secular press will put two different categories out there. Why do they do that? Because I'll tell you. You didn't ask, but I'm going to go ahead and ask it for it and answer the reason why they make those two categories is because even those who have nothing to do with church understand that there are a lot of people who have cultural Christianity who when you ask them if they are religious, they'll say that they're Christian, but they're not really involved in their church. They really don't have any passion for Jesus, and it shows those are quote-unquote Christians. And then there are those who live the gospel, spread the good news, those who are trying to conform their life to Christ, those individuals are born again. Now, the world sees this, but many times in the church, we fall into a false sense of security, thinking that because when one, when one asks us, what religion we are, we would say that we are Christian, and that is true because our mothers were, perhaps our, our grandmothers and grandfathers were. We grew up in Springfield, which is supposedly filled with churches. We live in a very, very uh, Bible Belt kind of part of the country, very different than other places on the East Coast or West Coast today. Sociologically, I can tell you that's very true. Um, here in the Ozarks, we're a little different than everybody else. You can interpret that any, interpret that any way you want, okay? We're just a little different. We talk a little different. We think a little different. If you go on the East Coast, they talk a little different. They think a little different. West Coast, same thing. That's just how people are. We would think, though, that because we're in an area that has a lot of churches and a lot of banks, that we're blessed. <laughs> and some of you think it's that latter thing that matters the most, but that's another story for another day. No, listen to me. What makes the difference is Jesus in you. 
That, that's what we need. And that only happens not when we brush up against religion and then call ourselves Christian. But what happens is when we encounter Christ, he doesn't just reform us, he transforms us. And we are to be a marching force, a standing army. We are to be difference makers in the world. And we can't do that unless we believe in the miracle working power of God. And each of you as an individual, you may not be the one that's on the stage. You may not be the one singing the special or whatever that is. But hear me, every one of you can make a difference for the kingdom of God if you will allow the miracle of God take over your life. Born again people are just different. They're different because they've been transformed by the grace of God. John's gospel is telling us exactly what it's all about. In John 20, 31, he says this, but these are written, the whole book, it is written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the only gospel that states explicitly that it was written so that you would come to know Jesus and be born again. The other gospels will do that too, but John just comes out and says, this is my thesis, this is what I want you to see, and I believe that that is what we as a church need to realize. It is our job, it is our duty, it is our honor to share with the world the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sadly, we know that many will not receive him. If you look at verses 10 and 11, we know the story of the Hebrew people. Now, I mention this because this is the word of warning for us today. The people of Israel, the Hebrew people of old, were given all the wonderful uh, uh, blessings of God. They saw the miracles. They, they were to receive the oracles of God from the prophets of God. They had every advantage, but they settled into just being Israel instead of being a people whose hearts were changed by Yahweh. Today in the church, in the West anyway, North America, Europe, I believe that we are in danger of going down the same path again. That we are Israel in the sense of we might have some Christian moorings, but we are not Christ-centered. God is calling us to be a born-again people. We are born of God. And let me say, unbelief, it is a common problem in this old world. The only power stronger than our unbelief is the power of God. So notice this. Today, those are the two forces at work. The power of unbelief versus the power of belief. And if you will, surrender your heart to Jesus, I believe you can be transformed and born again. There's some very simple language that we find here in John 1, 12 and 13, and I want to share it with you today because our goal is to understand our own salvation, our own born-again status, if you're here today and a believer. If not, if you're not born again, my prayer is, is that you will receive Jesus. And once we are in Christ, it is our job and our privilege and our pleasure to share Christ. And it is not complicated, but it is powerful. Let's begin with the language, and words do matter. Let's talk about those who did receive Jesus. When I had the, uh, the um, what is the word here? Um, when I had the madness enter into me to say yes to being the president of the Missouri Baptist Convention, 
I did that for my first two years here. I came to be your pastor and at the same time was elected to be the representative of the 1,800 plus Missouri Baptist churches here in the state of Missouri. That is crazy talk, okay? Um, and, and bringing us all together as a convention, God has been good, and, and, and Baptists have cooperated and done some great things together. But one of the things I learned when I stepped out of the pulpit just a little bit and got into politics, Baptist politics a little bit, I found myself talking to lawyers a lot more. Now, I have some lawyers in this room who are dear friends, but one of the things I learned from lawyers is you better be very careful with the words you use. Language matters. So if you are a lawyer and you write up contracts, you know that you have to be very precise in the language. Are you following me? If there is a legal contract and you're trying to protect yourself, the words matter. Now keep in mind, when God gave us his word, the Bible, he understood that what we have here is something that has the power of life and death. And so the words matter. Now, it's more important than anything with a lawyer or legalities. We're talking about eternal life here. Now, one of the words that we sometimes use when we talk about coming to know Jesus is, we'll say that we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But here we've made the mistake of using improper language. The proper language, as you see here in the text, take a look with me so that you know I'm not making it up, but to all who did what? receive him. You say, okay, pastor, we know you like language and you like playing with words, so you're just playing with words. Oh, no, this is a big deal. The idea of accepting something puts you in the driver's seat. The idea of receiving something puts someone else in the driver's seat. Now, this is not to take away from your need to confess your faith, your need to follow Jesus. That's something that you need to make a decision to do. But when you say yes to Jesus, then and only then do you receive the grace and salvation of Jesus. It puts the emphasis on God. I will tell you, I wish I had more time because I'd just get up here and probably make a fool of myself, but I'd have a good time doing it. I'm getting tired of the church being too much about me. Too many times, if you look at what people are most upset about in the church, it has something to do with us not meeting their needs. Now, you heard Shayla talk. We know that we are called to meet the needs of the vulnerable. But you do not get to be in that category when the temperature in the worship room isn't to your liking. You are not vulnerable. You are just fussy. <laughs> so I'm always hot up here. I don't know. You know, maybe it's because I'm moving around too much. But nobody cares, right? Because that's not the most important thing. You see, when we use a word like accepting, we're communicating that somehow the main decision, the main part of that decision was, was me. Hear me well. The action of God through Jesus on the cross saves us. Human power, human strength will not do. We receive this by grace. 
God's own people, the Jews, we see in verses 9 through 11 of John chapter 1, did not receive him. So notice this, the greatest danger we face in our salvation is the thought that we are in complete control of our spiritual destinies. Friends, you may be in charge of your business and you may be in charge of your home, but let me tell you, when it came to your sin, your sin has been in charge of you. Your sin always has the upper hand. The flesh always has the upper hand in you. The only way that it can be defeated is to be nailed to the cross. That's why you must receive Jesus. I think that this is demonic nuance when we start talking about what we have accepted. No, you have received. Jesus died for your sins. He is the divine son of God. We receive this truth in our hearts and we are saved. Listen to this. Salvation is receiving in your heart what God has said about his son. What is it, you say, pastor, that I need to believe? You need to believe what God has said about his son. And in the New Testament, we learn that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Every knee will bow before him. He is the good shepherd. He is the great physician. He is your all in all. Christ is all, Paul says in Colossians. Friends, Jesus is the only way, truth and life. He is everything. That's what the Bible says about Jesus, and we need to say yes to that. We must welcome the word of faith. He is offering us the opportunity to be a part of his family. We need to be adopted into his family. We say yes and receive that. Verse says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And I want you to see that word gave because it's repeated again in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It is all about what God has given The only question mark this morning is, will you receive it? Those who are saved have received the gospel of Jesus. Secondly, those who are saved are those who have believed in his name. Generally speaking, today, names don't mean as much as they did in the ancient world. In the ancient world, names sort of charted the course of one's destiny. This is why uh, the Lord was given the name Jesus because that name means, quite literally, Yahweh, the Lord, saves. So when John says that we believe in his name, he's saying that we not only believe that his name was Jesus, but we're saying that we believe that his purpose was to bring the salvation of Yahweh. So to believe in the name of Jesus is to not just believe in a person in the general sense, but it means to believe in Jesus in the specific sense that he is our one and only Savior. We receive the name of Jesus because he is the one who died for our sins. And by faith, the righteous shall live by faith, we are told in Romans 1, Genesis 15 In Habakkuk 2, 4, in three places in the Bible, we are told that it is by faith. So we receive the name of Jesus and we do so by faith. You know, it's interesting. This is harder than you think. And it's different than any other religion in the world. Did you know that when you study religions, there's a whole field out there called comparative religion. I think I can say uh, with you know, almost absolute certainty. I'm sure there may be an exception somewhere, but all other religions put the emphasis one way or another on our actions, our worship, our efforts. 
But when you read the Bible carefully, God's word will not let us have anything to do with it. It is free grace that we believe in. Now that sounds, that sounds like something many of you would say, well, that doesn't sound radical. But if we're the only ones saying that, that makes it radical. Everybody else is trying to climb the mountain and find God. And I get it. When we are hurting and we know that we have fallen short of the glory of God, there is something in us that wants to find the truth. Well, hear me out. When Jesus finds you and you receive him, it's only then that you can be saved. I remember many years ago, I was invited to come over to a house. It was filled with young families, young adults, all in their 20s. I think there were probably four couples and a bunch of kids running around. Chaos. Chaos all around us. Beautiful chaos. I remember talking with these families. These four families had been a part of the Jehovah's Witness faith. And we were talking about faith together. One of those four couples had been coming to our church, and they were just like, listen, you're saying things we've never heard before. We're going to get all of our family together, our friends together, and we we want you to tell this group what you're talking about because we've never heard this before. And I'll never forget, and I was being respectful. I wasn't trying to be ugly in any way. I was just sharing the gospel and sharing the faith. I remember in that room, two of those families received Christ and became a part of our church, and two didn't. And what I remember is talking with those families that wouldn't leave that other faith. And the reason they said is because they just couldn't believe in grace. That was the part. They said that is not logical, that God would forgive someone and there's nothing more to do than to receive that. That's too easy. We're going to stick with our faith that requires us to work, 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 work. That's what they told me. And it was an honest answer, and it was a logical answer. But friends, when we walk away from the free grace of Jesus Christ, we are walking away from the only way to salvation. It is frustrating when you start talking about how much do you have to work to get into heaven because a thoughtful person is going to realize that there has to be a quota. You can't just do one good thing, right? So those individuals will spend their lives trying to do all these good deeds. I get it. It's logical, but it's not biblical. The Bible just says that you are a sinner. You have problems. And you don't just need your spouse to tell you this. You have problems. You don't need just parents to tell you this. You have problems. And you know those problems are deep. And if you're honest about those problems, you you would say, I don't know how much I would have to do to atone for that. Well, let me tell you, there isn't enough for you to do. But there's one thing that's been done, and it was done by Jesus on the cross. Now, some of you are saying, that's radical. I guess I've never thought of Christianity that way. Well, that's the problem. Because too many people think of Christianity as just doing good deeds under the auspices of a quote-unquote church. Well, I would love for you all to be involved in good deeds. But first, what you need is Jesus saving your soul. There is no substitute for that. You have to believe in Jesus. Now look at the end of verse 12. He gave the right. This is a powerful thought. Once again, the idea of rights. Uh, We understand that in our country. In fact, most of the arguments that take place in the uh, academy 
and take place in the halls of uh, legislatures across our country have to do what it means to have certain rights. Rights uh, is the very foundation, property rights, etc., of, of Western uh, government. When you go back to the Magna Carta and all those things, I'm not trying to give you a history lesson. I just see your eyes glazing over right now. But Americans, uh, we have a constitution, it's based on rights, all that stuff is true. That's important, our rights. But I want you to realize that this word, the right, he gave them the right. The word here is the biblical word for right, but it can also be power or authority. It's more than just having a right, it means having power. Now, if we will trust in Jesus, what this is telling us, we have the right to become the children of God. It means that God is giving us access to the power that created the heavens and the earth. When we have the rights of a child of God, we are able to do the things that God would have us do, and we don't do those things in human strength, but we do them through the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the saddest things in the world today are Christians who have not claimed their rights as the children of God. What I'm saying is those who have not claimed the power and authority that Jesus gives us over the world, over our sins, and over the devil himself. You have power. You have power. How many times have you heard stories about people who have stored up millions of dollars and yet nobody knew it? They lived as the poorest of the poor. And when they died, it was found by the government that they had millions of dollars. And you go, this person was living in squalor. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen that very thing happen time and time again in my travels, in my pastorates. People who had plenty and it was just stored away, never to be enjoyed, never to be used. See, that's a waste. Well, that's nowhere near as much of a waste as the power and authority in Christ that's in this room today going unused. And when you die, your spiritual house in this world will look like a pauper's house and you had a king's ransom. Let that roll around in your mind for a minute. You had a king's ransom. You had the very power of God in Christ, and because of your fear and cowardice, you left it all in the bank. You put it under the mattress. One of the things I like doing is I like reading stories. The BBC has them all the time of these people who will be digging a garden in their backyard and they'll find Roman coins worth millions of dollars. Well, somebody buried those coins, got killed and forgot about them or something, but they didn't do them any good. They were in the ground for 2,000 years. The church in America has taken all these blessings that we've had for decades and we've buried them in the ground. And the master's coming back and going to ask us about our stewardship and most of us have failed. You have power and authority. You have been given the right. Friends, I fear that our material blessings in America are keeping us from spiritual blessings. We are so enamored with material things that we have sold away our birthright and we are not living in the power of God. I keep saying to people, it is time for us to live like Christians. And it is not going to be enough to just talk a talk. We need to walk the walk. We need dirt under our fingernails. I know it's gross, but I'm going to keep saying it because it's the only way I can get your attention. Say something gross. We got to get dirt under our fingernails. 
This 8,400 gospel opportunities, why are we doing this? Because I don't know how to get you out of this seat and into the world where people need you. Your authority in Christ. Your witness in the name of Jesus. What's it going to take to shake us up? I, I just think this is really cool. Notice the word in verse 12, children. Children are cool. They're fun. Now, babies are a lot of work. Teenagers are just downright grumpy. <laughs> Jenny and I had kind of forgotten that. But anyway, grumpy, grumpy teenagers. But you know, there's just something. That four to eight, they're not babies anymore. And they can kind of take care of themselves. They're incredibly cute. And they haven't got sassy yet. Now, I think... God is so wise because he says that when we can become the children of God, he doesn't say we can become the babies or the teenagers. He says we can become the technos or technon, which means four to eight years old, and that's when they're cute. <laughs> God is saying that you have the capacity to be cute in his name, that you can be something sweet and precious. I don't mean cute in some negative sense. I mean like really cute, like Rich and Emily's children. They're really cute. Avery is incredibly cute. He He's my buddy. That's cute, man. So when God is complimenting you here, even the words here are very specific. You are loved. You have power and authority. Your status before God changes when you receive Jesus by faith. You are no longer in the flesh. You are now in Christ. Last week I said this, and I'll say it again. Growing up, we used to sing victory in Jesus all the time. I find myself singing that song a lot in my life and in my ministry. And a few weeks ago, the Lord just kept bringing that song to my mind and saying to me this, in this voice, Jeremy, you have victory in Jesus. You'll sing that, but why don't you believe it? Why don't you live like that? And I'm asking you, do you believe you have victory in Jesus? Because you do. You have rights. You are a child of God. You have this beautiful promise. He gave the right to become children of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, John 5, 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. That's you. That's me. It's more than the change of a last name and an adoption. It's a total change from being dead to alive. Paul speaks of adoption in Christ, yes, and here we have the idea that we are now the children of God, yes, but the idea here is a total transformation. You cannot be a child of God and be dead in your sins. No, you've been made alive in Christ. He has woke up. He has brought to life inside of you this beautiful thing called the Spirit of God. You are born of God. In verse 13, that's basically what it says. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Scholars say that this language here is very specific. It talks about natural birth, versus spiritual birth, that's all very true. But the idea here is, is just being born again. Just as Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. The blood relatives you have in this world won't save you. Only the blood of Jesus spilled on the cross will save you. That's what this passage is saying. It's not what family you're born in, it's that you're born again into the family of God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's who we are. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are called to wage war against the devil and darkness. This ain't no country club. 
This is not to be a place where we gather and feel good about ourselves. Listen, I'm not here to make you feel guilty, but I am here to motivate you to live the gospel life that God has called you to live. You are born of God, and now it's time to act like it. We need to be marshaled into battle. We need to realize that the war is real, but the warriors are here. We have what we need to push into the lostness and darkness of our community. We don't need to go searching for somebody else. You are the somebodies. You are born of God if you are a Christian. The church today is making the same mistake of Israel. Too many of us leaning into our Christian heritage and forgetting that we are born again. To have 8,400 gospel conversations, you're going to have to be more than a cultural Christian. You're going to have to mean it and be born again. If we treasure souls, we must magnify the free grace of God offered to all sinners. And we need to do our part to share this message with a lost and dying world. I keep asking myself, I've been doing this a long time. And I tell you, I I have no greater joy than being able to share the gospel with you. But I keep asking myself, what is it going to take to motivate God's people to claim their birthright? What's it going to take for you to just begin to believe that your power is not a secondary or lower power? You have the power of Jesus in you. And I think the only thing I can do is to continually remind you of the basics that we have in Jesus, the gospel that we have has been given to us through the apostles. Listen to what we've talked about here today. How can I motivate you? How can I make you believe that you have a role to play in history and in eternity? Well, receive Jesus. Open your heart this morning and realize that only by the reception of grace can you be saved. You must believe in his name. His name is powerful. You need to claim the power and realize that God wants to do a great work in you. And when you have done those things, you are a born-again believer. You are born of God and you can change the world. I've listened to, to Christians talk for a long time. And we have a propensity to talk about all the things that are wrong in the world. But here at Ridgecrest, let's start talking about how we're going to take back what the devil has stolen. It has nothing to do with political powers because political powers are nothing before the throne of God. What I'm talking about here is loving your neighbor well. What I'm talking about is believing in the gospel enough to share it. What I'm talking about is bringing the orphan or the the foster kid into your home. What I'm talking about is feeding those who are hungry. What I'm talking about is doing anything you can to put the devil in his place. You are born of God. Now the only question is, will you act like it? Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us, or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.